Hey, you're listening to the Encounter Church podcast. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit us at ecdenver.org, or you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. How are you all? Did you miss me? That's a shameless plug for insecure self-adoration. Uh, but every so often you need that. I, for those of you who don't know, I, I mentioned it earlier. I was on a holiday the last two weeks. I was in England with my daughter and in Scotland. It's a lovely time for us to get away. Uh, and I appreciate all of you who've chosen to join us on your three-day weekend to come to church. Great to be here. I want to say hello to all of our online family. I know several hundred people every week tune in and watch us, so I'm waving at you. You can wave back at me and uh, know that we pray for you. We're here for you. And if you ever need anything, please never hesitate to reach out. And God bless you. But today is what? It's, it's, it's more than memorial. This is a threefold, a threefold holiday. So you should expect a threefold blessing. Did you know today is National Hamburger Day? That's why we're having crawfish. I have no idea. <laughs> And I, I do want to, I want to thank Dan and Gloria and, and, and Logan, wonderful, wonderful family. He's legit, by the way. He's South Louisiana guy. So he said, hey, look, can I do this? And I said, sure. Now, I, I like crawfish. If you don't, that's why we got hot dogs. But I encourage you to try them if you've never had them. All they are is freshwater lobster. And so if you've ever liked lobster, you will like crawfish. But it, it's not only that. It is also Pentecost Sunday. Okay, And so Pentecost Sunday is when the church remembers the outpouring of the Holy Spirit right after Christ's ascension. And we've talked about that in the last few weeks when I was here, about how, how that was the empowerment of the church to, to really go out and become the, the community and the transformative force in the culture and in the people to really share the gospel. The whole point of the, the, whole point of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is to equip us to be witnesses so that we can live the life that Christ has called us to, so we can actually do the things that we want to do and stop doing the things we don't want to do and, and go out and make a difference in this world. And it's Memorial Day. And Memorial Day, at least in America, and a Memorial Day in America is a holiday in which we remember the over one million men and women who, in the service of our nation, in the Air Force, in the Army, in the Marines, in the Coast Guard, and the Navy, that in all of the armed services, that, that died uh, in, in the various conflicts that have happened over the 200 plus years. And it is fitting and appropriate that we, we pause to do that. Uh, it's interesting in Israel when they have their Memorial Day, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but the way that they celebrate their Memorial Day is for 24 hours, for a whole Sabbath, they, they take the national television and they take, uh, they take a scroll with the name of every soldier who has died in the service of Israel and people go to bed in the evening watching those names scroll, and they wake up the next morning, and the names are still scrolling. Every name is only there for two seconds. But, but they have a cognitive awareness. Again, if you've ever been to Israel, you realize that they, they are in constant danger. And so they, they, take, they take war seriously, and, and not out of imperialistic ambitions, but just out of survival. And... Uh, so that's something for us to remember. And I want to I really mention today in this message, and I, and I was praying about it while I was overseas, and really feel like there is this, this multiple-fold message that I want to accomplish today, if, if, if you will grant me the freedom for that. One, to talk about, as citizens of America, or, or the number of different nations, I think we have 10 or 12 different nations in our, in our fellowship here. Not everybody's an American citizen, but, but, but we all live here in America. But, but as that, 
what is the message of the memorial? What is the message we should take from the, from the men and women who gave their, their lives? And then as citizens of heaven, because all of us are not only citizens of America, we're also citizens of the kingdom of God. And we have people who have died for the faith. And what is the message that we should take from that? And the scripture that, that I'm building on is, is the foundational verse. It is from the Gospel of John in the 11th chapter in the 16th verse. And a man named Thomas, who was one of the original apostles, is, is talking to the other followers of Christ. And Jesus is getting ready to, to go back to Jerusalem for the last time. And he's going to Jerusalem, and his apostles come to him, and they said, you know, Jesus, are you sure you want to do this? Because the last time you were there in Judea, they tried to kill you. You're not popular there. And he said, this is important. I have to do it. And, and Thomas turns to his fellow followers and says this, let's go to and die with Jesus. And I want to expand more on that as, as we get into that. How would that apply to us as citizens when we, we look at what has happened to the over one million Americans who have died in wars? Well, a little history on Memorial Day. The first kind of recognized celebration was after the Civil War, the American Civil War. Uh, almost 50% of all Americans who have died in wars died during that one conflict, in part because we were on both sides and in part because it was just a brutal, horrible, awful type of warfare uh, that, that was unprecedented ever. Uh, the warfare was so bloody that the European observers who came to witness the, the battles of the Civil War didn't understand how armies could function with the level of casualties that the North and South both sustained. These guys would lose tens of thousands of soldiers and come back and fight the next day, lose tens of thousands more and come back and fight the next day. It, they'd never seen anything like that. And so it, it, was, it was powerful. It was difficult. And so at the end of that war, there was this collective sense that we need to remember those who had fallen in this conflict, and they began to honor the war dead. Interestingly enough, one of the first Memorial Day celebrations was about by a group of freed slaves in Charleston, South Carolina, who went out and decorated the graves of both the North and the South. They were Christians, and they felt like that, that there was a sacrifice there that, that should be remembered, even if it was for a wrong cause. And that's, that's where it's at on Memorial Day. You, you look at all of the wars and conflicts we've had. Not all have been just, but, but we've aspired to the higher moments. I was, uh, as I said, in England and Scotland, and they've been fighting each other for 2,000 years, the north and the south, they, the, the north and south of the UK. And it was interesting to hear the same conflicts described in England because we would visit memorials there and then go up in Scotland and hear them described in a very different way there. And what prompted me to hear that was to think that, you know, if, if they're one of yours and they die in a conflict, forget the cause. Their personal sacrifice is worthy of acknowledgement. But I think it's far better for us as citizens to commit ourselves to a higher cause because really it's the cause that we die for that brings the highest honor to any sacrifice. It's what are, we, what are we pursuing? This is what Abraham Lincoln was talking about when he dedicated the National Cemetery at Gettysburg. You're probably familiar with the Gettysburg Address four score and seven years ago. There was a time we used to memorize it. How many of you actually had to memorize that in like seventh grade? 
Yeah, yeah, really, they did. We actually had to memorize the preamble to the Constitution as well. I don't know if they do that anymore. I, I wish they would. But, but at the end of that very short message that, that is just a brilliant piece of communication, he's talking about what is the lesson to learn from the battles of Gettysburg. And he said, is this, it is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us. What is that task? That from these honored dead, we will take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. That we here are highly resolved that these dead shall not have died in vain. They shall not have died in vain. That this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. And that the government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from this earth. If you want to read an amazing follow-up to this, read Abraham Lincoln's inaugural address for his second term in 1864. It's actually in the Lincoln Memorial along with the Gettysburg Address. But if you've never read it, because it's not as popular, he'll explain what the Civil War was really all about. It's an excellent piece of American history that should be remembered. And so I would say this, that as, as citizens of this great nation, we have got to acknowledge that not everything our country's done has always been right. But we were born out of an ideal that we have aspired to. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among those rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That, that we have values that are worth dying for. We have things that are important that... that are worth sacrificial giving and sacrificial service and, and willing to lay aside personal security and personal financial blessing in order for a greater good to manifest. And that's one of the lessons of the Memorial Day that we should take away from, not just honoring those who served, but realizing that if we allow the cause that they died for to fall, they will have died in vain. And that is not what I believe God wants. We are Christians. We are first and foremost citizens of heaven. And I will talk about that. But many of us or most of us are also Americans. And so how does God want us to live as American Christians? And so I want to give you something to, to spark your memory. I want to hand every person here a little flag. David, can you hand me that flag? And ushers, if you could... You'll see on Memorial Day that, that the graves of veterans are often decorated with one of these. They, they place them in the ground. There's a lot of debate about the symbology of the flag. What do the colors mean? What, what, is, what is known for sure is that the 13 stripes represent the 13 original states and that the 50 stars represent the 50 current states. And there's never been an official declaration of what the red, white, and blue colors stand for. Some feel it's, it's bravery and honesty and all those other things. But as you hold this flag in your hands and as you take it from this place this morning, and if you're watching online and you'd like one of these, uh, you can email us and, and we'll send it out to you. But make sure you send your address of where you'd like it sent. We'll mail it to you in the next week or two so that you have one of these. But hold this in your hand for just a minute. Again, I know not all of you are from America. But as you hold this, I want it to be a prompt. A prompt for you to do several things. First of all, to pray for America. 
The Bible is explicit. We're to pray for our leaders. Who do you think is going to pray for our leaders if it's not the church of Jesus Christ? Who is going to say, not our will, but yours be done? God, let, let us love our neighbor as ourselves. Let us, God, put things ahead of us that are, that are not just selfish. Did you know we live in an incredibly selfish age? I mean, it, it, it's, it, some of the things that are happening are just, I, I look back and I go, where is the sense of greater duty? Where is the sense of greater sacrifice? Where is the sense of causality? They did a recent survey, and I am not judging anybody. I only share this with you because it's disturbing to me. That less than half of Americans now say they would die for their country in an armed conflict. Well, no one wants to die. Not a single soldier who's ever died said, I, I want to go to war and die. It was interesting to me that, that recently a teacher's union passed a resolution decrying capitalism. And capitalism can be brutal. No question about it. It's completely amoral. It has no ethics. You have to superimpose an ethics on it. But, but people have said that, that it's inherently evil and, and, and embracing failed systems that have brought nothing but oppression and, and restrictions. I mean, there's, there's things that, that, that just, it boggles your mind what people think are right and wrong and good and bad. And we are called by Christ to love our enemies. We are called by Christ to pray for those who despitefully use us, those who abuse us. So this is not about us and them. Jesus died for them. He died for them. He died for them. That's how much God loves every single person. And we should love people too. But we need to be praying, not our will, but yours be done. We need to be willing to serve. We're going to talk about this, that, that as Christians, we're called to be Christ-like. How would Jesus behave in our generation? What words would come out of his mouth? What actions would, would be manifest through his interactions with people who don't agree with our faith and our values? And how do we do that without compromising what we believe and know to be true? We live in a representative democracy. We're called to vote. It is incomprehensible to me that less than 60% of Americans who are eligible vote in every election. I do not even understand that. You talk about the crown jewels and taking something that's precious and valuable and extremely important and simply going, eh, I don't want to play that way. I'm too busy that day. You know, Australia has a 90 plus percent voting turnout. It's not like it's, you know, how do we do that? They get 90%. Now they fine you if you don't vote. <laughs> That's actually not constitutional. I don't think we can do that. But, but I mean, you know, how much is it? Oh, yeah, I'll vote, you know. But, but I, I don't know. It's incomprehensible to me. Now, again, I know some people have some, some theology. I had a friend that believed Christians shouldn't vote. Very devout man of God. I think he was sincere, but I think he was sincerely wrong. You know, I, I do not endorse parties or politicians. I endorse the process, which says that, that it is one person, one vote, and everybody who's eligible should vote. Because when we don't speak up, somebody votes for us. So you hold in your hand a copy of the flag. Actually, you hold in your hand the flag. It's not a copy. And it's representative of, of a great ideal that may be imperfect and we have failed at times to, to, to fully realize. 
But that doesn't release us from our, our responsibility as Christians and as Americans to pray for our country, to live in a way that we treat others as we would have them treat ourselves and to participate in the process. Because only when you have people involved do you really have government of the people, by the people, and for the people. That's the first message. The second message is, what do we do as Christians who are citizens of heaven when we consider the sacrifice of the people who went before us? For 2,000 years, Christians have been persecuted and oppressed. They're persecuted and oppressed today, all over the world. We're beginning to taste part of that here in our own nation, where people say, hey, what a horrible thing to be a follower of Jesus, and are wanting to restrict our religious liberties. And yet, yet what do we do? Well, we, we go to the book, we go to the Bible, we go to our history and see how others who successfully navigated those times. This sacrifice is not new. The Jews experienced it when they were in various seasons of their life. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 11, 35 to 38, said this. And he was talking about the Hall of Fame of Faith, just to put this in context. These are the people that we should remember and honor. And it says this. Others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They, were, they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. If all we care about is what happens in this world, we'll never live the way Jesus asks us to. If we don't have an eternal mindset, we, we literally will fall short of what we're called to do. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons, Prisons, nasty. One of the things I visited in both England and Scotland were medieval prisons. How you could do that to another human being, I do not know. But people still do it to this day. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing the skins of sheep and goats. Destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Tomorrow, throughout this nation, you'll see speeches. You'll watch them on the news. The president will probably speak at Arlington. And you'll hear people say we need to remember the fallen heroes of our country, but as Christians, we have heroes as well. How many of us could name 10 people who were martyred for our faith? I tested myself. I had to work at it. I got eight. I knew others. I just couldn't remember them when I was kind of doing the test. But we, we got a lot of people who have died for the faith and are dying for the faith to this day. But do we teach these things? I, I, they don't teach it in public schools. I don't expect them to. But do we talk about it in our own families, in our own churches? There's an interesting website I found in doing research. It's, you know, it's, it's what Christians want to know. I don't know if that's true, but, but it's a website that, that I'll, I'll give you. And, and if you Google 10 famous Christian martyrs, uh, they'll talk about a number of people like John Wycliffe and Jim Elliott and, and Stephen, who's actually in the Bible. You, you, you'll, you'll find 10 if you want them quite easily. And again, whatchristiansWantToKnow.com. 
But there's also a classic book of Christian history, that John Fox's Book of Martyrs. Any guys familiar with Fox's Book of Martyrs? Anybody? Okay. If you're not, you should be. Because in there, there there's little snippets of, of life stories of men and women who died for the faith. And how many of you have an Amazon Prime membership or a Kindle permit? You can get a copy of Fox Books of Martyr for one dollar. <laughs> I looked last night just to see it's still there. As of last night, it was a buck in its Kindle version. Best dollar you'll ever spend. Okay? Because it will make you aware of the fact that the, the, the religion, the faith, the, the relationship with God that we enjoy was built on the sacrifice of men and women over centuries who said, you know, the kingdom of God is worth dying for. That men and women who were like Thomas who, who said, look, Let's go to and die with Jesus. Because I'd rather die with Jesus, serving the kingdom, than be the one who stayed home. Something to remember. You could really ask some, some interesting questions about the kingdom of God as it manifests in our generation. You can ask this question. If there is no persecution, are we really following Christ? I mean, again, John records this, this conversation with Jesus as he's coming to the end of his life. He says this, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Why would the world hate Jesus? Really good question. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, and so it hates you. If there's no persecution, are we doing what God called us to do? But the question is, why are we being persecuted? I mean, that, that, that's, that's an equally relevant question. I mean, I love what 1 Peter said in 4, 12 through 16. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through. Is this something strange were happening to you? Instead, this is, I don't understand this, but it's here, so I accept it. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. For the glorious spirit of God rests upon you, that spirit that fell at Pentecost. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. The Greek word that's used here is used no other place in the Bible. And it's a word that basically means stop sticking your nose in other people's business. <laughs> I mean, seriously, does anybody want to have a busybody around you? No. I don't care if they're a Christian or something else. Go away. This is my home. Leave me alone. And if we go around sticking our nose in other people's business, they're not going to like us, not because of our faith, but because of how we're behaving. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. How much pride do we have in being a child of God? How much pride do we have, not in our own accomplishments, but the fact that our, our Savior died for us, that God himself came to earth and was willing to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, and that he looked at us and did not see us as sinners, which we were, but he looked at us as 
as sons and daughters who had fallen away. And he said, please come home. The light's on, the door is open. I, wanna, I want you to be in my family. I haven't grown weary of you. I love you. I'll do anything for you. And that kind of God that, that isn't arbitrary or capricious or, or unjust, but looks at every single person and says, you are made in my image. I see myself in you. We had a, a visitor from uh, out of town that came in this morning. I looked at them and I said, boy, you look like somebody I know. And I realized they were the parents of one of our members. <laughs> and that's the way it should be. God should look at us. People should look at us and they should see our spiritual DNA. They should see God operating in us and through us. I like what it says in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 11 to 15. We hear some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus to settle down and work to earn their own living. <laughs> I didn't write this, okay? <laughs> As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. He's talking to the people who are working. Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so they will be ashamed. Boy, that's a weird thing you hear in church. Don't think of them as enemies, but warn them as you would a brother or sister. And then you have 1 Peter 2, verses 11 through 17. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage against your very souls. Be careful to live properly amongst your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, which they will, <laughs> they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So for the Lord's sake, for whose sake? For the kingdom of God's sake, for the higher calling's sake, for the, not for our own edification and our own ego, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. Whether the king is head of state or the officials he has appointed for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence the ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Your TikTok statement will not shut them up. Your LinkedIn will not shut them up. Your Snapchat will not shut them up. How you live your life and treat the lost will shut them up. Because after a while, it's like, dang, they're too nice to hate. Then even if they accuse, where was I? You are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone. Respect everyone. Respect everyone, even the crazies. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Are we more interested essentially in heaven or in heaven on earth? Which are we more interested? In one sense, as I bring this message to an end, we are all called to be martyrs for the faith. Paul, writing to the Galatians, said this, my old self has been crucified, put to death in some translations, it says, has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself for me. You might argue he was the first Christian martyr, the first to die of the faith. What does it mean then for each of us to be crucified with Christ so that Christ can live through us? What does it mean if we look at each other and say, let's go to and die with Jesus? To say that, you know something? It's hard to live in a persecuted place. It's hard to be rejected. It's hard to be mocked. It's hard to be lied about. It's hard to be you know, ridiculed. It's hard to be exploited. Some of us, you know, we've never endured this, and we're just now beginning to endure it. Some of you are very familiar with this for a lot of different reasons. But if we're doing it for the right reason, it's worth the outcome. Not only the salvation of our souls, but the furthering of God's mission, which was to seek and save the lost. The furthering of the, the purpose for Pentecost, which wasn't for us to just simply experience the power of God in our generation, but it was to equip us to be effective witnesses for Christ. To give us the courage to stand up and say, this is right and this is wrong. And we love you, but we're not going to change our position on what's right and wrong because it's convenient or you would like us better. Because we're not trying to win a public opinion poll. We're trying to love people and share the truth in love. And the truth is it is appointed unto man to each one of us to die and after that to face judgment. And you will face judgment either in the grace of God or apart from it. And it is a terrible thing for sinners to fall into the hands of an angry God. It's a terrible thing. And it is not the will of the Lord that any should be lost, but all would come to a saving knowledge of God. And so here on Memorial Day, I, I, I want us to, to have this, the reverence that I believe is, is justified as we recall the sacrifice of Americans who died in wars for the last 200 and I believe 50 years now. But as citizens of heaven, it's important for us to remember the martyrs who have gone before us and to make a renewed dedication to not only the ideals of America, the good ideals, but the call of God, which says to go out and love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and go out and love your neighbor as yourself, to live in such a way that people would know that you truly are a son or a daughter of God, to make prayer not just something we do occasionally, but, a, but an ingrained part of our, our, our lifestyle that we say, God, come, Lord Jesus, into these circumstances and situations. And to give people no reason to blaspheme God because we're being selfish or whatever. And again, we're humans. We're going to fall short. We're going to do stupid stuff. We're going to get angry. We're going to say things we shouldn't say. But that's where we say, Father, forgive me. And let me do better next time. Let's remember the flags that you've been given as an encouragement to live as an American should live. But let's remember the cross that should serve as a reminder for us to live as Christians should live. That's my Memorial Day message. Let me pray for you before we dismiss. Father, I thank you for this country. I thank you for its better moments when we have served as a, as a light, as a, as a beacon, as a city on a hill, as one of our presidents said. 
some place to be admired and respected. And God, we, we acknowledge it's, it's, it's goodness, but we also acknowledge its shortcomings. It's humanity, it's brokenness, it's, it's moments of darkness. And yet, God, in it all, we choose as Christian Americans to embrace the higher calling of the cause, to embrace the, 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 greater, the greater goodness, and to, to not just look at the darkness, but look at the light and, and, and pursue that, God to pray for our country that we would continue to be a, a bright place, to oppose darkness, to call darkness out, not in, not in rude, obnoxious ways, but to say, that's just not right. And we can't go along with that. To participate in, in the process, to be there when the role is called in our nation, but also to remember that, that we are first and foremost citizens of heaven. And you called us to not be of the world, but not out of the world. Not, not to take ourselves into a place of isolation, to withdraw to an island, as it were, but to engage in our communities, living lives that will be examples of what it means to be forgiven and to find grace for ourselves and hope for the future. I thank you, Lord, that you abandon no one that each of us have been brought into your family and as members of your family, we have the right to call on you and say, Lord, help us and take care of us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit ecdenver.org or find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.